Hello and welcome to the Short Story Book Club. This is our third session, well, third session since I've taken over from the very famous local short story writer, Laurie Steed. Um, so this is episode three of our podcast and today we're talking about Pulse Points by Jennifer Down. My guest today is Belinda Hermawan, who is a writer of novels and short stories. She's the former president of the Fellowship of Australian Writers WA branch and studios manager at Paper Mountains and, and wears all sorts of other artistic hats. So I'm really lucky to, to have her with me today and she's going to be sharing some insights into this collection. Um, welcome, Belinda. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship with short stories at the moment? Uh, well, short stories was one of I think one of those mediums where I thought I'd never be a short story writer or even a short story reader, um, as being somebody who always preferred novels or just you know television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you know, short stories has taught me over the last couple of years is that um, you know I find short stories harder to write than novels, mm-hmm. and I think that's because short stories, you know, th- that this is it's the concentrate of something it's there's no time to waste or no words to waste and in that respect they can be quite powerful pieces so um what short stories teach me is that you know you don't waste words mm. because of something um magical in the way that if you construct something properly um in a, in a confined space you can come up with something that's even more powerful than a 90,000 word um tome mm. I guess so um at the moment, I, I almost feel as if short stories are instructive um, and certainly have helped me with my um, craft for the longer form. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think you definitely wouldn't be alone there in, in coming to short stories later. It's a genre that a lot of people tend to overlook um, in favour of, of novels, which are, are seen as maybe more worthwhile of people's time, in air quotes. Um, but I think... Um, this takes me to one of the questions I wrote down later in my notes is um, who the readers are for collections of short stories like this one, particularly very literary ones. Mm. Um, I think perhaps the majority of the readership for a collection such as Pulse Points would be other writers or people who think that maybe one day they might like to try and write. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. Um, before I really got onto the literary scene, I didn't even know what the Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only by connecting with other aspiring writers um, and emerging writers that I began to I began to have an awareness of the literary landscape across the country. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually, you know, I think Jennifer's story was the um, the first Elizabeth Jolly winner that I actually read besides mm-hmm. Michelle Crawford's. Yeah, and Michelle Crawford being from WA, I think a lot mm. of local people will be very familiar with her work. That's right. So um, in being able to appreciate, uh, I guess as a reader, appreciating mm-hmm. something so in-depth in such a short amount of words, but then as a writer, being really in awe of um, just knowing how hard it is to create something that impactful. Yeah. Um, so I do feel like, it is the the writers who um, are trying to sort of, I guess, find a way of finding the the, way, the best way for their own practice. Yeah. Who are probably the most common readers of the short story form? Because yeah. as as we've you know we've spoken about before, short stories seem to have this reputation of um, 
a cheap way out if you can't sustain. If you've never tried to write, if you've one. never yeah. tried to write a novel, um, you can't sustain it for a yeah. hundred thousand words. Try and write three, mm. um, and it's much harder. It is much harder. But people who haven't tried it think that it's the other way around. Mm. Because you open a magazine and you may go, oh, you know, say a short story, and go, mm. oh, that's something you know, in a women's magazine, you might get, you know, like those five hundred word stories in a woman's day. No mm. offense to women's day. But it almost feels like it's the cheap way out. Mm. Um, so I think that yeah. in this emergence of people appreciating short fiction a lot more, um, it's really refreshing, but I think there's still, a, I guess, a long way to go mm. um, in terms of attracting a wider audience. Yep. Um, but it's definitely good to see that these short story writers are um, getting these collections published. Yeah. Um, well, just to give you mm. an idea of, of how well-received... Uh, Jennifer Downs' work has been. She not only won the um, Australian Book Review Elizabeth Jolly Short Story Prize for her story Aoki Gahara. Um, her novel Our Magic Hour was commended in the 2017 Victorian Premier's Literary Award and she was a Sydney Morning Herald Young Novelist of the Year, which um, another one of the Young Novelists of the Year, I believe, was Julie Coe. So mm. both of those writers are also short fiction writers and I think Julie Coe is predominantly a short fiction writer mm. so it is a form that is starting to get a bit of traction and getting a bit of notice for mm. for the writers working in in that genre and then these are young writers as well they're, they're yes. writers in their 20s yeah um which shows you know people may assume that someone in their 20s doesn't have enough life experience to be able to create mm. these stories that capture moments um, that may encompass all sorts of themes, including ageing and discrimination and yeah. these small moments that are, are life-changing. Uh, you know, so it's a, when you start reading these collections, like with, with you know, Julie Ko or Melanie Cheng or Jennifer Down, you forget the age of the author. Yeah. You forget. Um, because it's not, that's, you know, they've, that's it, they've, um, it's so accessible that you don't have to be a particular age yeah. to enjoy the short story. Yeah. Um, so just to give everybody a bit of a background on Jennifer Down, she works as a writer, an editor and a translator, and she's been published in The Age, The Saturday Paper, The Lifted Brow, Kill Your Darlings, Sleeper's Almanac, which sadly doesn't publish any mm. volumes anymore. Um, and in 2017, she was a facilitator for the Toolkits Fiction Program run by Express Media. So she's very involved in, in the liter literary scene. Um, returning to her ABR Liz Jolly Prize winning story, Aoki Gahara, um, it's named after the, uh, what do they call it? It's in Japan and it's the... Uh, sea of Trees. So on the back of the um, the book it says, a young Australian woman, woman makes a pilgrimage to the Sea of Trees to honour her brother. Now that, that phrase, the Sea of Trees, it almost sounds quite tranquil and quite um, fairy tale like but mm. in reality this is a, a dense forest um, where people go to commit suicide mm. and that's what's happened to this character's brother and she has gone to Japan to go to the place where he lost his life to grief mm. um, and it's a very sad very moving story it is incredibly moving i remember i, I thought i just read it on my phone mm. um and i thought it would be a quick read um nothing too um dense or, or emotionally uh, emotionally <laughs> and i read it in the middle of um the second floor of claremont quarter that's how you know and i was waiting for a boost juice that's how what kind of mood i was in I was like oh i just want to read a short story because mm. i don't want to 
you know, while I'm waiting around. And it, it got was a to, long wait. <laughs> it was well, it was a quite a, a, a busy time, but it, it got to the point where I was sitting there mm. and it was so immersive and I was a bit hesitant um going into to, to reading it because um it, it could be so easy for someone to approach a, a story set in Japan mm. with a sense of um, cliché. Mm. Um, and that is, you know, Jennifer didn't fall into that pitfall. No. Um, and, you know, because if you think about all the literature of, um, of a Western person engaging with a, an Eastern um, culture, it can, you know, can go either way. It can sort of feel inauthentic if not done right. Um, and, you know, movies like Lost in Translation and there's always, you know, sometimes um, narratives seem to rely on the culture clash. Or, mm. But this was really a story about the grieving process and the way that the, you know, that the Sea of Trees was brought into it, it was, you know, in, in it was just sort of, I just remember feel, afterwards feeling like I had stumbled out of a forest. Yeah. That's how the story made me, and I, I think I just sat there yeah. in this chair in the middle of a public, privileged place and yeah. couldn't move. You were just absolutely somewhere That's else. That's it. I think um, what having the setting being um, a place that's completely different to Australia mm. um, and the use of looking at a culture from the outside um, served the purpose of, of making the character experience that sense of disassociation mm. um th 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 along with the reader that's it so it's displacement exactly it's like, like feeling as if you're in a completely different place where you don't really speak the language and you don't know the customs and you don't know your mm. way around so you're totally dependent on the kindness of mm. strangers and that really enhanced um the empathy that oh, I was absolutely. able to feel for the main character because she's she navigating she's yeah. navigating her way to this forest but she's also trying to navigate the thought process behind yeah. um, her brother's decision to mm. take his own life. Yeah. Um, and as she does that, she's thinking about his history of um, depression mm. and drug use and the, the breakdowns of relationships that he'd been in and things like that. So um, I, I really think that, that the sense of being lost between two cultures mm. was a very deliberate choice mm. or if not a deliberate choice, it was a very happy accident. Mm. Um, and like you just mentioned that yeah. before, but that you expect a place like that to be serene mm. and to bring with a name like the yeah, sea of trees, um, yeah. but that you know she's subverted that, um, mm. and it yeah it has a completely different impact. Yeah. yeah, I remember the the when I read it, I was at work and I read it on my lunch break on the work computer, um, thinking this is something that I can read the whole thing mm. in my half hour lunch break. It'll be very satisfying, and by the end of it, I was in tears, and my coworkers laughed at me because they didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. Um, but that's one of the great things about a short story; it can catch you by surprise. Yeah, completely. But also, you can read it in a very small space of time while you're waiting for a boost juice, <laughs> while you're on your lunch break, while you're on a bus journey, mm. um, and you finish the whole thing in that one sitting. That's right. They're just they're moments, but they're powerful moments. Mm. And you get that sense of closure, mm -hmm. neatly packaged up, or maybe not so neatly if it's an open ended ending. But yeah, it, it, great use of of time. That's it um, yeah. for busy people who don't have a lot of time to read whole books. It's almost like a gateway to reading. Yeah, you know. It, well, it's, it's still reading. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so other past winners of the, the Liz Jolly Prize include people such as Josephine Rowe, who I think was on the Miles Franklin long list a couple of years ago, maybe last year. 
um, Michelle Michelle Crawford, as we mm-hmm. mentioned before, from West Australia, who published a collection called Leaving Elvis and Other Stories. Um, Carrie Tiffany, who was the inaugural Stella Prize winner. And uh, this year's winner was Eliza Robertson, who has a really prestigious string of mm. uh, credits to her name. She was a man booker fellow and um, went to one of the Oxbridge universities and <laughs> has a book coming out later in the year called Demigods. Um, so it's no small accomplishment to win this prize. Mm. I know in one year Kate Kennedy was second. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the person who beat Kate Kennedy was probably doing a little happy dance because she's very much in control it's of no the short feet. story form. Yeah. Um, so as a reader, when somebody wins the Liz Jolly Prize, and I I would argue that the Liz Jolly Prize is probably the most well-known prize for short fiction writers. I can't think of any... Not in Australia, I can't think of any. No, no. Do you notice this sort of thing? Is this something that would make you more likely to read somebody's work or think about it in a particular way, approach it in a particular way? I mean, I think there is an intimidation factor with um, award-winning short fiction. Okay. Because it seems as though... I mean, this is just coming from somebody who maybe stumbled upon it. Mm. This, I came from with the, the perception of in order to have a short story published, you need to have a literary skill set to be able to compete with the likes of, you know, Kate Kennedy or something like that. And it's not really necessarily a competition, but to be able to contribute um, pieces that powerful, um, I, I guess there's almost some sort of presumption from somewhere that you need to be quite skilled um, so I've probably forgotten the question. <laughs> it was, um, what does winning a prize like the Liz Jolly signify to you? Does it change the way you approach reading their work? I, I think it's an external validation yeah. mm-hmm. that, um, as a reader, you know probably going in that it, it's going to be of literary merit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as with anything, people win prizes all the time especially mm. in the novel form and then uh, a reader may say they hate it so um certainly i think it's a good way of getting recognized for yeah. something and um for people to be directed towards your work mm-hmm. um yeah i'm not quite sure i think also perhaps the value there is um if you win a prize like this, perhaps a publisher might look upon your collection of short stories as being more marketable because mm. then they can stick that, you know, little tagline, winner of the 2000 and whenever, mm. maybe our Liz Jolly Prize. Mm. And I feel like that is an, um, an emerging benefit. I think mm. maybe 10 years ago uh, when people weren't necessarily, or publishers weren't necessarily as open to publishing short story collections, yeah. it may not have meant so much back then. But I think now with this sort of resurgence, um, to be able to say, look, I've won this major award, um, it you you know it's, it gives you this automatic. Um, you, you then have um, something. It's a credential. It's a credential yeah. that you know, it, it speaks to your reputation, um, to your commitment to the form. Yeah. Um, the the fact that you're willing to pay, I think it's like a fifty dollar entry <laughs> fee if you're not a subscriber. Yeah, that's it. Could be wrong. Um, yeah, but yeah. I think it, it's it signals some sort of uh, you know I'm I'm in this and I'm committed. Yeah, um, and I have faith in my own work. That's right. So I think you know, especially when you think if stepping back from um, the writing sector, people, it's the same with like a, any creative form. People think that 
you know, you think writer and there are always going to be that cliche of somebody sitting in a Starbucks writing the next um, best, um, the greatest Australian novel. novel. That's right. And <laughs> then typing away, having one coffee and spending three yeah. hours there. Um, um, you know, and it, when there is a, a, a success that you can point to, it, yeah. it, it's almost like an anchor for yourself, but also for people to say, okay, no, I know they're grounded and that they're, they're in this, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, so this book um, has a cast of characters who are young, old, good, bad, straight, gay, victims, perpetrators, men and women. Um, you've read a couple of the pieces mm. uh, of the ones that you've read. How well do you feel like uh, the author managed to get into the heads of the characters she was talking about? Well, I, I was actually quite surprised by how well she was able to get into the minds of older characters, mm-hmm. um, of those sort of contemplating um, loss of you know partners or loss of health yeah. um, and just the, the changing world, especially uh, I just read Pressure Okay and... Um, just the way that the character m- moves around the city and re- remembering things that he, he experienced with, um, you know, his wife and remembering how things used to be at a university or used to be in a particular part of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, for someone as young as Jennifer to be, have been able to um, access those sorts of yeah. feelings. From a, a character who is a different gender to her as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's actually quite remarkable and it's something we could all sort of learn from. Mm. Um, and, I mean, from a personal standpoint, you know, I've, I've sort of written pieces um, where you just feel too intimidated to attempt. So I think... So you need to write, like, you but not you. That's right. So I think, you know, in, in reading something like Jennifer's work, you, you go, well, if she can do it, well, maybe I can yeah. do it as well. The other writer who springs to mind when I think about the skill in this area is Susan Medallion. Mm. Um, her collection Feet to the Stars and other stories which came out a couple of years ago also um, people noted the skill with which she jumped into the head of a, a young man who was contemplating the idea that his girlfriend might be pregnant mm. and you know then could switch into the head of an older lady teaching English and mm. um, did all of this without resorting to cliches mm. um, and I think it's really not easy because it's the, very difficult the first thing we learn about characters who are not ourselves is the things that everybody have done, has done a million times before us and then mm. you have to find that point of difference but also the point of similarity to mm. yourself that's so that right you connect so it's like juggling a, finding <laughs> that authenticity that is that's very difficult yeah um, um so you, you know the fact that she has crafted these stories yeah um it, in a way, what was the other one that the one about um, uh, turncoat? Turncoat as well, and that was a dog. <laughs> you know, that was also um, you just get so sucked into it that you forget it's written by someone in, in their twenties because yeah. it seems um, re- it's relatable. Mm. And I think the you know whether you're twenty, thirty, forty, or fifty, sixty, seventy, um, Jennifer's short stories are accessible mm-hmm. that you don't feel like oh this one's not for me. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, I think for her, um, her, her talent sort of it transcends the age of the reader, if that makes any sense. Yes. It means that it's you, outside of that. It's outside it's of that. Um, and of course, some authors make the choice to go, I'm writing for a younger generation, we're writing for an older generation, yeah. I'm writing for the, you know, for, for, for me, um, you know, or people like me. But, um, you know, with this collection, it feels like they're. Not that something for everyone, but these stories are for everyone. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think that's also maybe a hallmark of this uh, quote-unquote literary 
genre that everything that is not commercial gets lumped into yes. in that it's it's about everyday life and regular people and mm. of course that is for everybody because that's what everybody does that's it. yeah um so every story deals with either a single moment or event or a single day or night that changes the perspective of the main character um, or of the reader. And I think that's something that's pretty special about the short story in the way that it can make an everyday thing take on new significance. Um, first of all, did any of these stories make you think about the way you notice things in your own life? I think, I mean, referring to Turncoat and the mm. way that... Um, um, Jennifer uses this um, idea of this, um, you know, the, the concept of dendrochronology and um, how um, measuring time through the growth of trees. Yeah. And um, you know, in that, using something like that in a story could be so easily made be made into a cliche. Yeah. Which the way she weaves that with the characters in a monologue and their thought process as they're processing things. Mm. I've forgotten the question again. <laughs> um, it just... Um, yeah, sorry, what was the question again? Oh, was it first of all about how whether or not um, reading stories like this has made you think about the way you notice things in your own Yes, life. and that's what it was. But the point yeah. was, um, you know, that some things are subtle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're going about your every day, it's not like mm. a soap opera or... And there's no narrative. That There is no narrative. And it's not going to be an episode of Home and Away where, there's, where the diner's going to burn down every, you know, seven months. <laughs> I don't watch Home and Away. So <laughs> oh, no, well, neither do I. And that's one of the reasons is because, you know, it's not believable. Yeah. So I think... Um, um, you know, stories like this in, in showing, you know, these everyday moments, these mm. can happen to anyone. And it doesn't, yeah. a short story doesn't have to have this, um, an explosion at the beginning, an explosion no. at the end. Um, you know, life-changing um, realisations yeah. um, or epiphanies can happen quite naturally or um, in unexpected ways that are, can be gentle yeah, um, and can creep up on you. So it's more about what, something that's universal to all people yes. rather than something that is globally significant, I mean, like a nuclear bomb. That's right. I'm sure many of us have gone through periods of life where everything feels like a drama mm. um, and you feel like, oh, my God, I feel like this is just the next episode yeah. of something, which is fair. And this is why, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, the, those of us, we will write to those experiences as well. But um, in recognising that, you know, life can sometimes be incredibly ordinary but then also extraordinary yeah and i think you know especially jennifer's short fiction picks up on that yeah and she does it in a really beautiful mm. way um what strikes me about turncoat that story mm. um is the whole thing is kind of a metaphor in that um murray's beginning to feel like he's getting unwell um and the fact that he's feeling fluey and his arms and legs mm. are really sore and he, he feels like he needs to go and have a soak in the bath and the, the light in the bathroom mm. is irritating him it's um, symptomatic of the state of his relationship with Lou. Yes. And he remarks at one point, and I, I underlined my book, I know this is so bad, but um, somehow they'd always managed to coordinate their spasms of melancholia so that one of them kept it together. Mm. And this idea that if things are going well for her, then he starts to focus on the things that aren't going well for him. Mm. But if he needs to focus on looking after her, then he's all right and mm. she's not. Um, and that metaphor of yeah. um, changing a light bulb. Now, again, that could be incredibly cliched and poorly mm. pulled off, but um, you know, it's in it's this. Um, it could be a trope, you see, if, mm. if used badly. But in this story, you know, it, it's it's a 
um, the, a light being changed, a, a globe being changed, and the, you know, it's a change of mindset. That's right. He yeah. goes to the store and he kind of expects the the young um, um, hardware assistant to be, kind of be condescending, but he's not. It's just like you know, um, and in in the end, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but you know, the, the light bulbs get changed every day, and there are different types of light bulbs. Mm. But and then the greater significance of that. You know, the reader mm. can draw their own conclusions. That's right. And that wouldn't work along a longer form as well. If it no. was too drawn out over, you know, 400 pages or so, I think you'd probably get frustrated, throw the book across the room and say, I get it already. The that, light in the bathroom it. sucks. <laughs> um, and again, that's uh, it teaches, um, if you if those listening um, are thinking about, you know, trying to write short fiction, um, you know, that's something that, you, you know, you have to learn, that you mm. can't be so heavy-handed in things. No, but you have to practice. You have to go through the stages it, of being heavy-handed before you yeah. get to being yeah. able to be so subtle. And in, um, I know, you know, it, it pays off to read successful short stories. Yeah, to be and able a lot to, of them. Yeah, and a lot of them, to be able to inform your own writing as well, mm-hmm. for you to go back and take a look at a piece and go, okay, I see where I've been too heavy-handed there, yeah. or, um, or too subtle, um, or, you know, didn't have an arc that made quite as much sense as I thought it did yeah. in my head. So, hmm. I mean, the other thing that's different in short stories to novels is um, how much space you have for dialogue. You have a lot less room in a short story. Um, some short stories never even have dialogue at all. Mm. Um, and it, you can't have authentic small talk. You almost have to make every piece of dialogue work extra hard. Mm. So, um, In that it, respect, I kind yeah. of feel that dialogue in a short story is almost like dialogue in um a serialized television show yeah because when they're on screen they're not going to have small talk for five minutes no like you wouldn't often they, they come in and they say oh what are you doing here my twin brother who i haven't seen in 30 years <laughs> and that catches the audience that, I, that's it yeah. so in because you don't have that much space, but you've got minutes basically yeah. so the same thing television you've got minutes you've got short lines. story you've got these lines which take minutes to read yeah so um, like in turn mm. um the first spoken aloud um, dialogue between Lou and Murray is where they're on the phone and she says, you're down the beach? It sounds windy. Um, and th- that gives us a sense of her because mm. the clipped sentences, the colloquial, mm-hmm. you know, very familiar. But then she starts to talk about her job and about how um, she feels about it mm. and, you know, how she feels like maybe the Department of Education is going to slash them budgets or something mm. like that. So um, you get a you sense get of what sense she's passionate about, right? What she's yeah. doing, and then you're all caught up. Okay, now you know Lou, mm. you can get into the story. And he's a bit more sensitive than her. You can tell from the choices of words mm-hmm. and the way that he, he has more complete sentences. He's less casual on mm. the phone. So you get a real sense of them and the dynamic between them. Mm. And again, it's one of those show don't tell. Yeah, you don't, exactly. Don't say, you know, um, Lou's pissed off because she, you know, she has to write this... Um, you know, funding document and she might have to write something for crikey to, yeah. you know, and the union's being useless. You know, it's not the narrator saying that. It's just you pick it up through the yeah. dialogue. And it, it's, again, it's a clever way of... of, of and as a reader, story. you have a lot of room to move. I, yeah. mean, I mean, that was my interpretation of Lou and there's your interpretation mm-hmm. of Lou. But somebody else may have read something completely different into mm. that, but they still have all the key pieces of information that mm. they need. Um, I think... It's more important in a short story to pay attention when you're writing them, certainly, to, to language and word choice. Um, because, like you've said before, you cannot waste a single line. Mm. Um, you can't have a throwaway, um, you know, can't have a, a bird land on a fence outside unless it means something. That's right. Um, even if it's just set in the scene, it has to mean something. Mm. It has to be really important. Because, particularly in Australia, you're working with really tight 
word limits, mm. often about 2,000, 3,000 words. And anybody who's ever had to cut a story down from 4,000 words to 3,000 or 2,500 words knows how painful that can be. Very painful. But often it's for the benefit of the story. Mm. It's completely different. It's like um, when you pick up a short story, you have this... It's, this is your fo- focal point. It's different to picking up a novel that you know you're going to spend hours and then you can go back and reread if you've, you know, you're sort of lazing into it. You might be you know, in a park or on a bench or you could be in a beach or you, mm. you, you could be you know, um, just relaxing with a, a glass of wine. You've already relaxed into it in mm. a way. With a short story, you know it's, only, it's for a finite period of time. Yeah. So your focus is going to be quite sharp. Yeah. Um, so if the um, short story um, starts to veer off in directions which um, really should have been trimmed, mm. um, there is just less um, patience, I think, for yeah. um, anything superfluous in a short story. So yeah, every word does count um, because if you introduce anything that really isn't required, where like extra characters, you know, a bird here, uh, you know, extra dialogue, um, you're just diluting the yeah. product yeah. and it's just like exactly like um you know that remember like like the watered down cordial you get in high school or something at a school <laughs> it doesn't camp taste like anything. it doesn't taste like anything like you drink it yeah but you're not going to remember it fondly sure. <laughs> you know? whereas a short story that has a really powerful impact um like Aoki Gahara mm. um lasts a long time that's still it, it quenches a thirst you didn't even know you had And then it kind of leaves you wanting more. The thing I really like about short stories is that sometimes they tell me um, truths Mm. that I didn't realize um, that I, so beliefs that I didn't realize I held. Um, And that's a particular type of short story is that moment of truth short story Mm -hmm. where where the ending sums up something that should have been obvious all along. Yeah. Um, it, It was very fashionable in short stories for a while. I don't know if it still is. I think we're very into the open-ended short story at the moment. Yeah. I am certainly, which annoys people. Um, <laughs> but even yeah. with um, Pressure OK, I mean, you probably make assumptions about the protagonist's daughter mm. um, because everything seems well put together and, um, and you never quite know what's going on in someone's life or how they're feeling. Um, so, you know, because it, it, the story isn't told from her point of view, um, but she's a, a main character in it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something... Uh, she's very important. That's it. It's a potent lesson we can take for our own lives. Like you, We just assume that, we, that other people are fine, mm. you know, and that everything is exactly how they want and everything seems to be great. Yeah. But, you know, we're all complex creatures, so... Yeah. And, you know, things aren't that simple. Okay. So without having read the entire collection, would you call it melancholy, perhaps, or...? Is there a theme that struck out to you of the ones that you've read? Hmm, I think melancholy is a good word for it. I'm just trying to. I wouldn't say place. depressing. No, it's not depressing. It's um almost humbling. Mm. Um, you know, you come to these pieces. It's not one of those pieces that makes you go, "Oh, okay, this is a collection that's going to make me feel really grounded because other people have it worse than me." I don't think that's it. No. But it's this. Um, it's almost like um, a set of mirrors uh, that are just held up to society. Not, I don't want to mean that in a cliched way, but just I kind of see different mirrors at different points, different sizes, just reflecting mm. on different experiences okay. that we all have as humans. Yeah. 
but they're um, not particularly hopeful. No. Necessarily. They're just true. Yeah, that, they're just true. So the mirror is not a fun house mirror mm. or a warped mirror. No. It's, it's just reflecting what's there. It's not tinted. It's not, no. you know, it's not dirty. It's just is. And none of the stories are particularly prescriptive. She's mm. not suggesting a way that these characters could feel no. better. She's just saying at this point in time, this is mm. where they ended up. And yeah, and I think that's a good thing because you don't feel lectured to when no. you're reading them. I think if there were was an agenda, it could be quite distracting because mm. you could feel like, oh, okay, then the now the writer's positioning me to f- feel a certain emotion or take a particular opinion away from okay. the events that are happening. Um, so in that way, I, I like how it, it, it's natural. It lets the story move you in whatever way you will be moved. Okay, yeah, all right. It's, so it's not trying to be this pushy force you yeah know? it's almost like when you go in you walk into a retail store and you have somebody in your face <laughs> the second you get in you second you get in or it's the more the one that kind of the sales assistant who makes it known that they're there and that you can ask for help and they'll they're hovering mm. um but they're not pushing you okay. but they will help you so we've had a few metaphors from you this evening <laughs> so short stories are like mirrors held up to society they're like pushy sales assistants got a few Go a few minutes. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, it depends. <laughs> There's a lot of ways of thinking about the short story. Yeah. I think that's what we are finding out over the course of doing this book club. Yeah. Um, and every writer approaches it slightly differently and every reader will take something slightly different away, which, you know, I love the possibility of that. Mm. Um, I love that nobody reads the same book. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody focuses on different elements. Everybody relates to different characters. I think that's just part of why reading is so enjoyable. Mm. Um, One thing that really struck me as being different about this collection to the previous two that we've done, we did um, uh, The Love of a Bad Man by Laura Elizabeth Woollett Mm -hmm. and prior to that we did um, Australia Day by Melanie Mm -hmm. Cheng Um, and before we started recording the podcast, Laurie Steed also took us through um, The Weight of a Human Heart by Ryan O'Neill, which is an absolutely fabulous collection and everybody should go out and buy a copy. Um, And prior to that, I think he also did Heat and Light by Ellen Van Nieven. Mm. Um, so those collections, um, have all had quite a strong Australian place to them. Yes. Um, possibly not for the love of a bad man, but in that collection, it was more about people than Mm -hmm. about place. Um, what really struck me about Pulse Points was that it traveled all over the world and the place was really, really significant. Mm. Um, so it goes to Japan, it goes to certain parts of America. There's a story set in Paris um, and I, I think that probably links back to Jennifer Downs' experience as a translator. Mm-hmm. I think um, the, you know, the music of other languages and other places is probably part of the way that she thinks about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly feel like, um, especially just from the ones I've read yeah. in, 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 in Pulse Points, is that the setting, um, whatever city that you know, the, the story is taking place in, it is a character in, in itself. Mm. It doesn't have to be the most in-your-face character. No, but it's there. But it's there, and it helps you... I guess it's just... It helps frame what's going on. Um, You know, just like how, you know, even if there's one, like a story set in Melbourne. Now, we've probably all been to Melbourne, um, and we don't need to be lectured or hit over the head with, you know, exactly what's going on. But there's a certain... um, I think, you know, when you read a short story, there's still a map in your head. Of where it is. And it's the same as you try to navigate these characters, you you know. I think um, setting, again, just just sort of helps set the tone. Yeah, it it really does. And that's very apparent in the pieces in this collection. Um, I mean, I think every 
location has been chosen for a very specific mm. reason. Um, there's a story, and I'm temporarily forgetting the name of it, so I'm really sorry about that. But it's it's in Paris, and these two people um, have lost a baby um, and go for a walk in the catacombs. Mm. And that's you know a very somber thing to do after you've just lost a baby. But it couldn't have happened anywhere else. In that's the world. it. Where else are there mm. catacombs that you can just walk through? And I think that's what it is. If I mean, you may not notice it until you ask yourself the question, would this story have worked if you moved it to another city or another country? And I think if, it, if the answer is yes, then maybe you need to think about the setting a That's bit it. More. Is it even relevant at all? And if the answer is no, it would not have worked, then, then you know that, you know, um, where you've placed it is exactly where those characters and that moment of realisation needs to be mm. in order for it to work. Yeah. Um, but sometimes the absence of setting can be very deliberate too. Absolutely. Um, I know that I've written stories that, I would say are Australian stories, but it doesn't matter which city in Australia mm. that they take place in. Because um, setting can be distracting as well. Yeah. It can, you know, take away from the message if it's too overwhelming. Yeah. But if you're going to choose a very specific city mm-hmm. to set your story in, then it absolutely has to be the right one. Mm. And you have to make that setting work for you. Mm. Or it may not necessarily be um, the right city, but it could be just the right type of place. Yeah. Um, so where, where the action's happening. Like a happening. New York busy style city mm. or a small southern American town. Mm. Or, yeah, or just, yeah. you know, a particular street or a particular building uh, or type of building. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Okay. Um, well, that's all the questions that I have here. Um, thank you very much, Belinda, for joining me today. Um, happy to be here. I just, yeah. you know, I just got to think, you know, um, I think short stories have converted me, you know. Okay. So I feel like, you know, if... Uh, anyone listening isn't necessarily convinced yet of whether they should um, either read short stories or try to um, uh, try themselves to write short stories. I think, you know, from personal experience, it will help you. Yeah. If you had told me two years ago that I'd be having two pieces published later this year of short fiction, I would have laughed at you. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I'm also on the committee for the 2018 Australian Short Story Festival. Also, probably would have laughed at you for that as well because I. Yeah. Didn't have a full appreciation of them. Um, but certainly in you know the manuscript for a novel that I'm working on now, the skills that you pick up from writing short fiction um, do translate into helping you write longer form. Mm. And I think people, I think more people need to know that. Okay, mm. fantastic. Um, for anybody wanting to, to try out short fiction, and, and really if you want to give it a go, one short story will take you like 10 minutes to half an hour, depending on how fast you read. Is there a particular collection that you'd recommend people start with? Um, 10th of December by George Saunders. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, even if you go, oh, no, I'm not really you know, a reader of short fiction, I think that one will entertain you Yeah. Um, and will show you how unexpected the form could be. Yeah. Um, and he really links into your point about learning to write well from writing short fiction because George Saunders is predominantly a short fiction writer but his very first novel is now shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize. It. So it. he's honed his craft. Yeah. And um maybe not as quite as amazing as Tenth of December, but still amazing um Stone Mattress by Margaret Atwood. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, you you know I mean some of the the short stories you might go, Oh that was a bit heavy handed or you know, maybe Margaret was phoning it in a bit, but you still see these... <laughs> Margaret Atwood, never. <laughs> um, you know, that she tackles really tough subjects, um, almost like a do not touch this subject mm. for a short story. And she goes there. So there's quite a, some dark themes in that collection. Okay. Um, and so in, in, in reading 
um, you know, something that would have been, say one story was about revenge on a rapist. Like, you would think that, that wouldn't, you wouldn't attempt to do that in a short story. That's mm. something that you probably would You do have to be a bit brave to go to that yeah. story. Um, and maybe only Margaret Atwood can do it. But the, when you read um, Stone Mattress, you go, okay, you can be bold in a, in a short story too. Yeah. And, you know, like we were saying before, like not everything needs to be home and away. Yeah. But sometimes you can you can go there. You can go big, for it. There's a big risk in writing about topics like that, but mm. if you do it well, there's a huge that's reward. It. And that's why novice writers are typically told don't touch anything, you know, like suicide or um, you know, death um, in any form, um, you know, assault and that. But that's probably because it, it takes a level of skill to be able to pull it off. Yep. Um, but you know, if you you work at it, yeah, you could be the next Jennifer Down. <laughs> that's very exciting mm. um so next month um the next short story book club is taking place on october the 31st halloween spooky um and we're doing the boat by nam lee so we're going to do a bit of classic australian award-winning short fiction and i'm really really looking forward to that so hopefully um some of you may join me in person at the center for stories where there's always something really exciting going on thanks belinda once again